who is wearing the big boy pants in our nation's capital at the moment? And what in the world is going on with the Washington Mystics offense at the moment? We've got our Mystics beat reporter, Jen Hatfield, here with us. This is the Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast, and we are tipping off now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Yes, hello, and welcome to the Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast. This is Alex Simon, pinch hitting here on a quick little late change in the lineup for Howard Megdal, our usual Wednesday host. We're coming a little later on a Wednesday, but we still want to thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Locked On Women's Basketball is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use Locked On NBA. That's L O C K E D O N N B A for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Jen Hatfield, our Washington Mystics beat reporter. We, we're coming a little late in part because there's a lot of Mystics news to break down. But before we even talk about the Mystics news, Jen, you have given us an absolutely glorious story here on Wednesday. Uh, I, I just I want you to tell everybody what it was that you noticed in the first couple of games of the season that made this story so great when you were at the Mystics games. Thanks, Alex. Always, always good to be on with you in this kind of after dark edition, at least uh, out out here in Mystics land. Um, yeah. So the story I wrote today is about um, how Eric Tivo has settled in as as the Mystics head coach this season after taking over for his father Mike uh, in the off season, and kind of how that transition has gone for Eric, for the players, for Mike, who is now uh, not coaching and and you know contending with that as he watches games. Um, so really just a lot of uh, watching what's been going on during games, watching practice, uh, talking to players, talking to opposing coaches, um, and just trying to put that all together for folks and, and paint a picture of, of what this transition has been like, which has been, you know, remarkably smooth. We, we never expected it to be bumpy, not with Eric having been on Mike's staff for so long and the players pretty much all knowing him. There's a lot of continuity on that roster from last year and, and even before that, but um, it's it's been very smooth overall. That's the main overarching thing I noticed. It, there are some things that stay the same. I love the fact that one of the first things that you got as a quote is Eric kind of being like, I, I could still hear him yelling from, from his different seat. But with that different seat and then, you know, not needing to worry about halftime adjustments or anything. I love the fact that, you know, Mike can, what is it, get a half court, halftime snack? What, what You noticed he went and got some... Uh, Munch munchies in between. Yes, yeah, so I'm pretty sure it's it's popcorn. It's a little bit hard to see from from our media seats, but but pretty sure he and his wife Nancy they had these uh, white small bags like you would have popcorn in. So um, they definitely got uh, halftime snacks to to keep them going uh, with a 7 p.m. local tip. I, I do find it interesting, and and specifically to kind of hear a lot of the players saying that like it's not exactly the same 
right? I love Maisha Hines Allen's quote about, you know, well, one has glasses and one doesn't. Uh, one's young and one's old. But like so much of what I got the sense of is that it doesn't seem as if the mystic players feel like this, this seat is in any way, shape or form too big for Eric. And it should be noted that, you know, he did get a few games of run as the fill in head coach for his dad back during COVID absences. But there's a difference between filling in and doing the job. And it seems as if the players at least feel as if he he's ready for it and is more than ready for it even. Yeah, absolutely. They're super confident in Eric and, and they were even when he was interim, but especially as the permanent head coach, you know, I asked several of them, um, you know, has it been weird not hearing Mike? And, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to Eric. I just mean that as you've had this guy who is a giant in WNBA coaching, who's, who's been with the franchise for a decade. And now he's by and large, keeping his mouth shut and, and letting Eric run things like, is that, is there a little bit of a, a void there that you're not used to, you're not used to not hearing him. And for the most part, they all said, no. Um, Tiana Hawkins said, yeah, it's a little weird. She's been in Washington for ages, uh, is, is very used to Mike. Um, she goes, it's a little weird, but I like it. Um, and, and <laughs> pretty much the rest of the players said, no, it's not weird. Like we're so used to Eric, um, beyond Eric, you know, coaching on an interim basis. He, he also in has increasingly run practices and called plays and things like that during games. So he's kind of, uh, tried out a little bit of, of head coaching kind of edged to that way before he formally, uh, succeeded his dad. So it, it's been a very natural, uh, thing for all involved. It, honestly, maybe hardest, uh, for Mike to, to kind of get used to that, but I, I don't know, uh, Mike, Mike declined to speak at this time for my article, so I didn't get to pick his brain on, on how hard it is for him to him to just watch. Yeah, I, I did. I mean, I love the photo that you took. It, it seemed like a screenshot off a of Zoom of Eric wearing his dad's old team T-shirt. I'm sure it's not from that time and maybe is a, is a custom order or some type. But, you know, it seems as if there's it, love in that way. But... I, the idea that even Mike being able to go do something in the middle of the season, like go to a reunion for his old Omaha racers. Uh, I mean, that's not possible if he's still the head coach. And I assume that, you know, without getting a chance to speak to him, I'm sure there's a lot that Mike would have thought wise, but it does it seem to you that maybe that part of it is almost happening intentionally. The whole idea that Mike, doesn't want to speak up too much to kind of let Eric truly take over. Is that your sense? Very much so. Yeah. And I think Natasha cloud had a really beautiful quote on this. Um, but yes, he's, he's very much like giving up the reins. He's, he's trying to be, be quiet. Uh, he, he made a deal with Eric that uh, if Mike tried to get a coach's challenge called in the first half, that, that Mike would buy him coffee, which I read as Mike trying to not be too involved. Right. Um, and, and not trying to like do his coaching things and let Eric um, try things and maybe mess up sometimes because that's natural. Um, but yeah, and, and in practices, you know, uh, media are, are only allowed in the last bit of practice. And, and whenever I've been able to make it to practice, Mike's just sitting there like leaning back with his arms behind his head, his feet are outstretched. He's basically lounging um, in a chair on the side, just watching. And, you know, but since we're only there for part of it, I wondered if if that was really the case all the time. So I asked a couple of players, like, does he say anything like or is he just sitting there like that the whole practice? And they're like, no, that's that's like what he does. He just watches. Um, and, you know, Maisha noted 
you know, she doesn't know what goes on when, you know, upstairs in the offices, like maybe Mike's providing more of his input there, but he's very much not like quote unquote meddling uh, in practices. Yeah. Just quickly, because podcasting clearly a visual medium for those that listen to this audio only the way I like to, Jen did a demonstration of Mike kind of leaning back into his chair. Jen leaned back into her chair to do it. But right, you bring up a good point. Mike is still the general manager of the team. Eric is coaching Mm -hmm. the team on the floor, but Mike undoubtedly is involved. I'm sure there's plenty of conversations about the team as we get later into this season. And especially with the way Washington started the season, I'm sure we might get more of Mike's input more so on the roster, maybe than on the day by day playing on the floor. But before we kind of talk about some of those struggles, Jen, I want to talk about game time. I don't know how long you have known about the app game time, but for me, I've actually been a game time user for years. It is to me the best ticketing app that you can find anywhere on the internet. Game time allows me, I can't tell you in how many cities I've been able to think I want to go to a game here in Phoenix. Let's see what game time says. Oh, there's a great ticket. I got a 10% discount from game time. Let's go ahead and do this. And all of a sudden, 15 minutes after thinking I want to go to the game, I'm on my way to the game. Game time's interface allows you to see where your seat's going to be. It allows you to see the price. It shows you the fees right away. I think game time for my personal belief as well as for what they do for Locked On, is the best app that you could do here. If you are interested and have not used Game Time before, you should download the Game Time app. It's available on all of your app stores today. And you can use the code LOCKEDONMBA for 20% off of your first purchase. $20 off. Excuse me, $20, not 20%. Game Time, it's, it's truly incredible. And I would highly, highly recommend all of our listeners take a look if they haven't so far. Jen, as we look at this Mystics team, especially given the way that this season started with a absolutely dominant win over the New York Liberty, does it feel like there's frustration as to where they are now a couple of weeks into the season? I think the Mystics are trying to blend some perhaps natural frustration over being three and three, just losing to the previously winless Minnesota Lynx. I think there, there's, it's natural for there to be some frustration there, but I think they're blending that with kind of a long view. Uh, there's a sense of urgency, but also a sense of patience, right? This is a veteran team. Um, they know that, that it's a long season, a longer than ever regular season this year. And so they're, they're really invested in writing the ship um, but they're not freaking out about it yet, if that makes sense. And look, they're still six games in. They are at three and three. This is a team that undoubtedly fancied itself as probably the third in a two super team world. Uh, you have reported about those thoughts plenty already in the run up to the season. But they lost both games to the Connecticut Sun out of the start. And the Sun have kind of looked like that insurgent team into the super team conversation more and i think most of the problems jen you kind of have to chalk up to offense where they as of right now we're recording wednesday as the game between phoenix and dallas is ongoing but the mystics have the fewest points per game of any team in the WNBA so far this season and i assume that's not how they felt this season this was going to go for them no, they had a lot of continuity from last year. And so they expected, you know, the top rated defense uh, from last year would carry over and it, it largely has. Um, but they also expected they'd be able to, you know, smooth things out offensively, especially with Elena Deladon playing in every game. And that just hasn't happened yet. The shots have not fallen. 
Um, their their field goal percentage is is not pretty right now, especially from three. Um, and you know, at, at some point, you know, Eric Eric has said this a fair amount. Like at some point, you just got to make shots. It doesn't matter how good your defense is in the WNBA. You got to score to win games. So um, they're working on that, trying to get that that chemistry going. Um, you know, trying to trying to get the right people in the right spots, get them hot, um, as they did with Ariel Atkins this past weekend. So that's that's one good sign. But yeah, it just hasn't looked fluid or. Or if it looks fluid for a little bit, then it falls off. They've they've given up a fair amount of runs. You know, they'll go up by double digits and then they'll give it all back, which I think is a particularly frustrating part for them. And I will say, you know, in part, you can look at this statistically. They are one of only two teams in the WNBA that are shooting under 40% from the field overall. They're just barely ahead of the Seattle Storm, who are at 38.3, but the Mystics are at 39.3%, so the second worst. They're also the only team under 30% from three-point range so far to start the season, which is, as of now, six games in, 28.9%. I will quickly state the team at the other end of the three-point shooting perspective, the Chicago Sky, for our every single day, here's six days a week listeners, tune into the Locked On Wins Basketball Podcast for our next episode when James Kay and Jackie Powell will discuss how good the Chicago Sky have been. That's coming to you tomorrow in your feeds. But today, Jen, when we talk about this Mystics team, it could it just simply be that the shots aren't falling is the entirety of the offensive problems? I think that's a, a large part of it, for sure. Um, I think other factors that are kind of playing a role are just figuring out like who gets what shots when. Um, Shakira Austin has been phenomenal this season. Um, and that creates kind of a luxurious problem in that you need to balance like feeding her now with with feeding everybody else. Last season, she basically never had a single play called for her and and did well regardless. And now she's playing so well, they have to call plays for her. So that kind of scrambles like who your first option is. Who Well, your first option is always Elena Deladon. But that scrambles who your second option, your third option. And, and so between Shakira and Elena playing so well, now it's, you know, can you get the guards involved? Can you get them yeah. making shots? How do you fit Brittany Sykes in here? Uh, she's running a lot of point guards. She's going to look different in that role than Natasha Cloud. Um, can Natasha Cloud hit enough shots to stop people from going under screens? Same with Brittany Sykes. So there's just a lot of uh, things like that to work out. And then, you know, the bench, some of the bench players have not, uh, shot the ball well either to start this season. Uh, Shatori Walker-Kimbrough, Tiana Hawkins from three. Um, so just kind of getting them going too. So, um, you know, and then and then they they have talked about too, uh, last year it was, it was talked about a ton how the Mystics were less in, in pace. And that was a big thing that they talked to them in an offseason, running more. And um, they, they continue to talk about it, um, but they've been inconsistent as far as uh, how many fast break points or points off turnovers they're getting in games. So they're not always, sometimes they are, but sometimes they're not getting the easy shots that kind of grease the wheels for the offense. And just even beyond getting easy points mentally, you everything feels easier when you're getting a steady diet of like transition layups and, and plays that pump up your home crowd. And, and especially you could see pace, you know, they have a few stats where they're, you look at just their totals in that regard. I do find it interesting. They're 10th in the WNBA. They only grab 6.2 offensive rebounds per game. And it might be because they do have inside presence players like Deladon, especially 
who tend to maybe float more outside. So offensive rebounds aren't there. But when you can't grab offensive rebounds and you play slow, it just means you just don't take a high volume of shots in that way. They're 10th in the league in field goal attempts per game. And I do find an interesting note when you think about pace, the two teams that are worse than Washington in offensive rebounds, one of them's Phoenix, which we can let that one go. I do find it interesting that the aces have fewer offensive rebounds per game, which allow for second chance points, but because of the pace, mostly the aces shoot three shots more per game than the mystics do. And I would think that if you look at a lot of the stats, you know, the mystics aren't turning the ball over. They get to the free throws. They're like in the middle of the league in terms of free throw attempts. And then obviously because they have Elena Deladon there at the top of the league in free throw percentage, it's just that pace part doesn't give them as many opportunities to score. If you're not getting offensive rebounds and you only have so many possessions. And then if those no offensive rebounds mean every possession is a one shot possession and then you're not making those shots, it certainly is not a, it, it's a recipe that could sink other teams to the bottom of the WNBA. And maybe that's more a sign of just how talented this team is that, with all of this going wrong, they're still only at 500 so far through this season. Yeah, totally. As, as uh, you know, messy as the offense has looked in spurts, the defense has looked dominating in spurts. Um, you know, you mentioned how poor Washington's field goal percentage is at, at 39.3. Well, they're allowing opponents to shoot 39.9% from the field. Um, yeah. So it's like, like, like they're making opposing teams look just about as rough as as they have sometimes looked um on offense and that starts with the three-headed monster of uh natasha cloud ariel atkins and britney sykes on the perimeter which like yikes good luck um and then shakira austin's blocking shots in the paint if you get that far so um it's it's been fun to watch their defense um at times and it's you know they they need to ride that but they also need their offense to like give their defense a little bit more of a break well after we quickly take a quick step aside for a commercial break i want to talk all about shakira austin and kind of the front court that's become and before we do that though we will need to talk about some interesting news that's happened even just on the practice court this week with the mystics so we'll be right back with that thank you all for making the locked on women's basketball your first listen every day jen hatfield we got a very strange kind of report from practice yesterday and we should give a very large hat tip to kareem copeland of the washington post who was there at practice i know you wanted to be there but just couldn't for other work obligations but it seems as if there's a pretty scary moment with maisha heinz allen who has only just returned to the court at practice jen does it seem as if the report of that happening on tuesday maybe was as scary as it was tuesday but it hasn't seemed as serious the next day and the day after Yes, that's what the indications seem to be. And again, yes, credit uh, Kareem for reporting uh, yesterday as well as today. Um, so for, for context, Maisha Heinz-Allen had off-season knee surgery, missed the first five games, came back on Saturday to play eight minutes. So she's played eight minutes this season. Then the Mystics take Sunday and Monday off. So then in their first practice after she returns, uh, very end of practice, uh, she somehow uh, got hit inadvertently, uh, very late in practice, took a hit to the neck shoulder area um, and went down. And it was scary enough that Eric Thibault uh, called practice after that. He was like, we're done. Um, so they were looking at her neck. They took her off uh, gingerly um, and, and, you know, they were monitoring it. But 
she traveled with the team to Seattle today and, and they'll keep looking at her tomorrow, but seems to be doing better. She, she was at practice today, but did not participate. Um, so hopefully that's, you know, just uh, stiffness or, or soreness that will, that will go away naturally fairly quickly here rather than a serious um, injury. Certainly a scary situation, and especially for somebody that has been vital to what the Mystics have done in the past. I will say, though, we kind of saw this happen last year a little bit for Maisha Hines-Allen, that her role probably was going to be very different, even just playing eight minutes on Saturday is maybe a sign, because Austin has developed into a, I want to say, next-level type star for this Mystics team. And when you look at her statistically, she's shooting 54%. It's on 9.8 attempts. So just like you were talking about earlier, she is blossomed into a player that you absolutely have to work to get shots for. She has more shots now than anybody but Elena Deladon on this team. I don't think, Jen, if we had asked you that even a year ago in the middle of last season, we would have been saying, oh, yeah, like everything, you know, after Elena, your next best option kind of has to be Kira, right? Correct. I I would not have said that. I would have said Ariel Atkins. Um, Now, Mayusha is still on a minutes restriction. We don't know exactly how high or low that is. Eric won't tell us in case he uh, goes over. He doesn't want to hear about it. (laughs) But I do expect Mayusha to uh, play more as as a backup option. But to your point, um, you know, Mayusha's role has been changing constantly. I I wrote a really in-depth story on that last year and, and how it was difficult for her to adjust to all these different roles with um, Elena Deladon sometimes playing and sometimes not, and Maisha playing with different post players who had different strengths. So this year, I think her role is a little bit more consistent in that she will be that backup um, post player. But but yeah, she's she's being asked to be versatile. Um, and Shakira Austin has really cemented herself in that starting lineup in the meantime. And someone who's going to be you know a bona fide star in this league, uh, Natasha Cloud. There was a uh, there was a funny moment on Saturday uh, in the post game press conference. This is after a loss to Minnesota, so you know it's it's not like it's a super jovial mood. But uh, Natasha Cloud had previously posted on Instagram that uh, she doesn't talk enough about how great it is to play with Shakira Austin. So I decided to ask her about that, and and as soon as I say the name Shakira Austin, she leans forward and grabs the microphone with both hands. Um, and like, kind of like I'm ready, you know? And, and so I asked her about Shakira Austin and, and she, she says, that's going to be the best center in the WNBA. Um, she should be WNBA most improved player this year. Just, just gushes about her teammate. And, and it was, you know, really great to see that. Um, and, and, you know, Shakira has been super impressive, um, really building on her strong rookie year plays really well with Deladon and just, you know, her teammates and coaches gush all the time about how smart she is in making reads off of other players. So like her success with Elena, um, she she like instinctively knows where to go off of Elena Deladon, which I don't think people realize how hard that is because like Amanda Zowie said this earlier in the preseason. She was like, I've never had a post player who wants me to come set up ball screen for them. Like, I don't know what to do. And Shakira has kind of instinctively known how to play with this uh, post player who's not even really a post player. Yeah, it, more of a Magic Johnson type in that regard, where you have somebody who is at a height that would make you a post player, but can handle the ball like a guard. And yes. Elena, there's a few players in the WNBA truly like that, Stewie, obviously. But when you look at, I mean, even statistically right now, you know, you quickly look at 
Okay, well, Shakira, so far this season, is averaging 13.7 points a game and nine rebounds a game. If you just use even 10 points a game, so who's getting double-digit points and nine rebounds a game? There's only seven players on the list, and in terms of people who have scored or grabbed more rebounds than her, the only people who have that combo are, okay, Brianna Stewart, Satu Sabali, Neko Gumatke, and Alyssa Thomas. That's pretty darn good company for Austin to be in in her second year. It should mm-hmm. be noted. Only year two. So I just look, I look, and I mean, there was definitely some people who, you know, thought Mike Tebow was making maybe a mistake by letting Ryan Howard go, and she has been phenomenal. But I can't imagine Washington has any regrets whatsoever about the way they handled last year's draft when you see what Austin's done so far this year. This year, especially, even though, you know, they probably would have felt the same way last year. It's only grown this season. Yeah, I've never heard anything resembling uh, regret about the draft. Uh, Mike has said he he would have considered Shakira with the number one pick if they'd kept it. Um, you know, they could they could certainly use some of Ryan Howard shooting right now. But um, Shakira has been incredible for them. So. Um, you know, and I, I asked her just yesterday um, in the in uh, post-practice media availability, I said, Kira, are teams guarding you differently this year um, with how well you've been playing? And, and she said, basically, yeah, a little bit, but they can't change it that much because Elena Deladon's next to me. So it's not <laughs> again, like a load up on Shakira Austin, um, at least not with the starters in the game. And perhaps that's where we should end it, too, in that regard, because I mean, yeah, it is Elena Deladon just to her left. And so much of what this Washington team can do when you project what they could do going forward, as much as they've struggled in six games, we should keep making note, six games out of 40 this season. Mm -hmm. But for the struggles, if Elena Deladon plays at the level she's even been at so far or even better, which is deeply in the MVP conversation, I mean, even with these super teams, Vegas looks like a, a world-beating monster, but this Washington team, if Elena Deladon's that good, it's kind of hard to see them not having a chance, right? Yeah, I think, you know, it, like like you said, it's only six games in. They got a lot of time to figure out this offense. And, you know, one of Mike Tebow's favorite things to say is, is uh, you know, you don't worry about peaking right now. You want to peak going into the playoffs. And Elena Deladon has been simply spectacular. Like I can't, I can't overstate how ridiculous it is. And I, I wrote about this, how ridiculous it is, how well she's playing given that she had two back surgeries and had stenosis, which is a condition that has forced professional athletes to retire. Um, like she had a deeply career th- threatening back injury of all things. Um, and she's coming back and in some ways playing better than she has in the past. Um, and it's just, I mean, as Ariel, as Ariel Atkins said, who does that? Like, who does that? Elena Deladon does that. She might, she might really be one of the few ones who can be this good after several, not just one, but several career altering injuries that otherwise might have, like you said, taken players careers out. And for as much as yes, they're three and three so far, the three losses include a admittedly one that they would not love against the links though. That was the back end of a back to back against a Minnesota team that was rested the night before. And then two against a very good Connecticut team. Jen, if we were to talk again, come let's say there are two games set that they have against the Chicago sky coming up in about 10 days time. In between them, they have two games at the one and four Seattle Storm, 
one game at the one win Indiana Fever and one game hosting the one game Phoenix Mercury. When we hit the 10 game mark, it wouldn't surprise anybody if what we feel like is a, a weird three and three start is seven and three and rolling, would it? No, I don't think it would be surprising. You know, West Coast trips are hard for East Coast teams. Like that is a hard road trip and I won't discount that. But, uh, you know, the Mystics should be favored in each of those games. And this is really a prime stretch for them to to get that offense rolling. They're coming off of now a, a week of practice since the back-to-back last weekend. And they had a week of practice before that. So they've had some good practice time. Use this opportunity to, Elena Deladon said, you know, today, like use use this road trip to, you know, do some team bonding as well. And hopefully that'll help on the court as well. So this is kind of the the window for them to really, you know, send a message. We're figuring this out. We got this. And, and I'm sure because I know these East Coast game teams going West playing evening games can be difficult on a beat writer that you are thrilled that Sunday is an afternoon game. I am thrilled. Thank you, Sue Bird, uh, re- Jersey Retirement Ceremony, if that had anything <laughs> to do with uh, an earlier tip time. Well, Jen Hatfield, we hope that you can handle the one late game. Well, where can the people find your work deep into the East Coast evening, Friday night, and anytime they want Mystics coverage? Yeah, so obviously check us out, check us all out at thenexthoops.com. And then I'm on Twitter at Jen Hatfield1. That's Jen with two N's. And Alex Simon Sports for me on Twitter. You can always check out what I do at Barrier News Group. Thank you so much to Howard Megdal for letting me come in and slide a quick pinch hit appearance in for him here. You can listen tomorrow to the Lockdown Women's Basketball Podcast to hear Jackie Powell and James Kay breaking down the Chicago sky, who have been to some extent the surprise of the season so far in the WNBA, rolling at five and three, looking sharp, playing well, feeling fun. We want to thank you all for making Lock On Women's Basketball your first listen every day and hope that you come back and join us tomorrow. Thank you all and have a lovely Wednesday evening. Welcome to Wallet. For the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. 